that we could look upon and not be vaporized. Our daughter Rachel is a writer. When I told her the theme of this camp, she wrote this. What is God like? Moses asked this question but was only able to catch a glimpse because no one can look at God in all his glory and live. When we ask, what is God like, we get a different answer. Rather than merely seeing the back of God passing by, we get to behold Jesus, the exact imprint of God, the Almighty in the flesh, the great I am with skin on. Jesus is so real that he has a body even now, and one day we will see him face to face and fall into his arms. We will be embraced by God himself, and we will live. And John says, Jesus showed us that glory of God in his humanity. Isn't that what he says? In his humanity. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. I know in this church family, you all love to hear about the glories of Christ. The glories of Christ. You love to hear Christ preached as risen, exalted at the right hand of God. You love the Jesus of Revelation chapter 1, whose eyes are like a flaming fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. His voice is like the roar of many waters. You love to see the Lamb on the throne in Revelation chapter 5, worshipped by the four living creatures, the 24 elders, the myriads of angels. You love the Jesus of chapter 19 of Revelation, coming down from heaven on a white horse. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I love that Jesus too. Jesus the victorious warrior. No one's pushing him around, kicking sand in his face on the beach. We all need to comp contemplate Jesus in his exaltation and remember that he is eternal, infinite God. He is to be worshipped and adored, feared and obeyed, and what confidence that gives us in this dark, godless world. The risen Lord Jesus tells us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and Make disciples of all the nations. But brothers and sisters, that's only part of the truth about Jesus, our Jesus. Yes, he is fully God, but he is also fully man. And we never want to lose sight of his humanity because we don't just see the glory of God in Jesus after he ascends to heaven. We see the glory of God in his humanity in the Gospels. Some Christians... Uh, mistakenly believe that at his incarnation Jesus emptied himself of his glory now they mistakenly derive that from Philippians chapter 2 but John said the word became flesh and we have seen his glory Colossians 1:19 says for in him in Jesus all the 
fullness, the pleroma of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The way the Shekinah glory filled the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, the glory of God fills the human body of Jesus. It did and it still does because he is and always will be in a human body. Hebrews 1.3 says of Christ, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Brothers and sisters, that's not just true of Jesus after his ascension. It was true of him when he walked on this earth. He radiated the glory of God when he healed lepers, when he taught in the synagogues, when he cleared out the temple, when he wept at the tomb of his friend Everything Jesus ever did and said so perfectly reflected the character of his father that Jesus could say to Philip, Philip, have you been so long with me and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen who? The father. What is God like? The answer is Jesus. Jesus shows us God as God is. I think it was J.B. Phillips said, Jesus is God in focus. Jesus shows us God as God is. Jesus also then shows us man as man ought to be. He's the perfect man. So think, think about this. The more we behold him, the more we will become like him. Amen? So ponder this. As we behold Jesus, we will become more like God and we will also become more fully human as God created us to be. This morning we're going to start by looking at the compassion of Jesus. I love that we sang that song. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Jesus strong and kind. First of all, what is compassion? Well, the English word Compassion means to feel pain. To feel pain or to suffer together with someone along with an intense desire to relieve that suffering. The Greek word is a funny-sounding word, squakna. It sounds like you dropped the bowl of jello or something. Swakna. And it really means your internal organs, intestines, kidney, heart, liver, all that stuff. It's used of Judas in Acts 1.18, and it says that he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. That's splachna. But isn't this where we feel our emotions? We feel compassion deep inside. We say that we're heartbroken. Uh, our stomach is in knots. That was gut-wrenching. And it's not imaginary. Our emotions physically affect these organs. The Bible tells us that holy, infinite, majestic, unchangeable God is compassionate toward sinful people. Isn't that amazing? That when God, holy God in heaven, looks at us human beings all dazed and confused, reaping the pain and consequences of our sins. 
who's deeply moved by our condition and deeply desires to rescue us from our distress. 2 Corinthians 1.3 calls him the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Psalm 103, 13, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And that beautiful passage in Hosea, Hosea 11.8. God says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. And when God took on a human body and took on a human nature, added that, added that to his divine nature in Christ, we can see this divine compassion fleshed out. So I want us to look at what evoked Jesus' compassion. The first thing we see in the Gospels is physical distress. I'll give you an example of that. Two blind men. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 beginning in verse 29. And we're just going to look at several incidents here that show what brought out compassion from our Lord Jesus. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Son of David was the Jewish way of saying Messiah. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, or moved with compassion, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Luke tells us these two men were poor, miserable beggars. They were completely dependent upon others for their livelihood. People would toss coins to them to ease their guilty consciences. Most people just ignored them. They were pretty much invisible men. To the Jews in that day, blindness, illness in general, was a consequence of sin. They said that about the man born blind in John chapter 9, didn't they? Yeah, you're just getting your karma. But on this day, these men heard this incredible commotion, a parade of people who were following Jesus all the way from Galilee down to Jerusalem. They were hailing him like some sort of a rock star. And God opened their eyes of faith to cry out to Jesus, Lord, Lord, Son of David. And they knew this man had compassion for miserable, marginalized people like them. Notice the reaction of the crowd. Shut up, you guys. Jesus doesn't have time to deal with you. He's much too important for you. 
What are you thinking? But what does Jesus do? He stops the whole parade. He bends down. He stoops down. And he speaks to these two men as one person to another. And at that moment, Jesus' insides moved within him. He felt in his own heart what it was like to be dirt poor, what it was like to be a blind, ignored beggar. And his compassion moved him to relieve their suffering. Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. Don't you love that? He touched their eyes. This is all very personal. Jesus could have snapped his fingers and kept walking, and they would have been healed of their blindness. But he stopped, he stooped, he spoke, he touched, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. This is Matthew's way of saying they became Jesus' disciples. And they joined this crowd from Galilee and literally followed him to Jerusalem. They still had about 15 miles and a 3,500-foot climb to make to get up to Jerusalem. But they followed him all the way. Who wouldn't want to follow a man like that? They'd just seen the compassion of God in the man Christ Jesus. Let, let me ask you this. Is this the Jesus that you tell your friends about? Jesus who is full of mercy and kindness. Do you tell them about the goodness of Jesus? This is the Jesus they will want to follow. I have to ask myself, though, am I more like the crowd that was bothered by these men or like Jesus who saw them and stopped everything to stoop down and meet their needs, right? People were, were never an interruption to Jesus. They were never a distraction to Jesus' ministry. People were the ministry. Is that true about you? Let me give you a second incident. We saw two blind beggars, and then we see a hungry crowd. Turn over to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to be in the Gospels. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered, How can one feed these people with bread and here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. Again, notice the difference between Jesus and his disciples. He's putting himself in their place, and he's feeling their hunger. He's thinking ahead. He's anticipating them fading on their way home, and that triggered his mercy and compassion. The disciples didn't care. Guess they should have planned better, right? But hey, not our problem. Yeah, easy for them to say they had seven loaves of bread. <laughs> They're not going to go hungry. And there's a little bit of that in all of us. And it's because we get overwhelmed when day after day we hear about uh, some tornado in the Midwest wiping out an entire town. Another school shooting. 
another massive wildfire. I mean, we care and we pray, maybe, but what else can we do? We can't take on all the world's problems. So we build a wall around our hearts just to survive emotionally. It's kind of like the preppers up where we live in northern Idaho. They stockpile food and, and water and gasoline and lots of guns. <laughs> For when Armageddon comes, they'll have what they need while the rest of the world goes up in flames. Yeah. I saw a video once where a man was interviewing people. And he said, imagine you are a soldier in the Third Reich under Adolf Hitler, and you're told to get on a bulldozer and push dirt over people in a pit who have just been shot. Some are still alive. If you refuse, you will be shot. Would you get on the bulldozer? It was amazing how many people said yes. They would do it to save their own lives. But Jesus showed us what our Heavenly Father is like. Jesus cared. His heart went out to these men. He had an intense desire to alleviate their, hung, their, their hunger to this crowd. So he fed them until they were stuffed. Two lessons here. One is, very simply, Jesus cares when you're hungry. He really does. When you're tired, when you're stressed, when your back hurts, when your joints ache. Jesus knows. Jesus cares. He knows your pain. Don't ever think that your aches and your frustrations that you feel in your human skin don't matter to Jesus. They do because he is still in a human body that felt all those same things. Uh, that's an amazing thought. Lesson two, you and I need to care more about the aches and pains of others, right? if we're like Jesus. But won't that open us up to a lot of pain and grief? Yes, it did for Jesus. Wasn't he a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? I've heard pastors say this more than once. It's a counsel they would give to men who would seek to enter the ministry. If you want to be in the ministry, you have to have a thick skin. I don't believe that. I think you have to have a thin skin to feel what others feel and hurt when they hurt. I think that's the price of ministry, but that's the, also the cost of following Jesus. Third incident, an outcast leper brought out the compassion of Jesus. In Mark's gospel, again, Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42 Let's read there, beginning in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling. Kneeling is a word that's also used of worship. Worship. Kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, splunk now. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. 
And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Today, leprosy is not a problem in our part of the world. It's rare in the world. 95% of people have a natural immunity to leprosy, but in Jesus' time, it was a horrible deforming disease. Um, Some of you know it created numbness in your extremities. You felt no pain in the ends of your your fingers or your toes, and, and so lepers would literally wear away their their body parts they would burn them off accidentally under the law of Moses lepers were social outcasts they couldn't have contact with other people they had to shout unclean unclean to keep people from getting too close this brings back memories of the pandemic doesn't it <laughs> they were dead men walking They looked repulsive, they smelled repulsive, and if you accidentally touched one, you were ceremonially unclean and had to go through a whole rigmarole before you could worship again. And again, it was just a given that leprosy was due to sin. It's due to sin. A leper was being punished by God. So if a person is getting what they deserve, they don't deserve our pity. The rabbis kept six feet from lepers. They said it was harder for a leper to be cured than for the dead to be raised. But somehow this poor man believed that Jesus cared and Jesus had the power to heal him. He worships Jesus and he says, if you're willing, I know you are able. And what was Jesus' reaction? He was moved with compassion. Jesus, I believe, felt what it felt like to be a leper. He felt this man's pain. He felt this man's loneliness. He felt his shame. He took it into his own heart and reached out to touch him. The guy probably thought he was going to hit him. It had been so long since he'd felt the warmth of a human touch. Actually, the Greek word is more like Jesus grabbed him and held him. Again, that man hadn't been touched by another human being maybe for years, but God became man to be able to touch and heal this man's disease. Do you hear the gospel in this? Jesus let him know, I am willing, and you're right, I am able. We love, we used to love singing a song at Middletown Bible Church. He is willing, he is willing, he is able. Doubt no more. Power and mercy together in one person. Jesus shows us what God is like, compassionate toward our pain and humiliation and suffering. But you have to see this. Look at verse 43. There's another emotion of Jesus here. And he sternly charged him and immediately sent him away. Now that Greek word for sternly warned means anger, indignation, warning with threatening. Sounds more like the way Jesus would talk to a demon than to another person. This is strange. Why did Jesus get so angry with this man when he had just shown him such compassion? Well, honestly, if you study this, commentators kind of step back from it. They don't know what to say. 
I think there's a couple reasons that Jesus was angry while he was also compassionate. Number one, the guy had no business approaching Jesus. He was really breaking Mosaic law. He knew that. Jesus, I think, is saying here, obey God's law, stop sinning. But second, he told him not to go out and broadcast this miracle, but he did it anyway, and Jesus knew he would do it anyway and cause him a lot of trouble. It was not his time yet to fully reveal himself as Messiah. Here's what I want you to see, though. Jesus' compassion didn't lead him to be soft on sin, and his hatred of sin didn't cause him to withhold compassion. Isn't that great? Wow. Isn't this the way Jesus dealt with the woman caught in the act of adultery? He was gentle with her. She's about to be stoned to death, and he saved her life, but he also said what? Go and sin no more. That's a perfect example of speaking the truth in love or truthing in love. In John 5, Jesus came upon the man at the pool of Bethsaida. Hadn't been able to walk in 38 years. He said, get up and walk, and he did. That's compassion in action. In John 5, 14, though, it says, afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. When we study Jesus, we learn that it's really possible to hate the sin and still have compassion on the sinner. That leper needed both correction and compassion. I'm just taking a wild guess here this morning. I think that's what you and I need, (laughs) right? Compassion and correction, both. And isn't that exactly what God gives to his children? For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. We need to be more like Jesus, don't we? We need to hate sin more than we do. And we need to be more compassionate to sinners. Amen? More compassionate. In other words, example, we need to hate sexual sin in ourselves and others, both hetero and homosexual sin. We need to draw clear lines where God does, but we need to feel compassion and show compassion to sinners. Jesus did. Doesn't Romans 5, 8 say, and God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Physical distress brought out Jesus' compassion, but so did emotional distress. I want to show you a widow who just lost her only son. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Luke writes, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he draw near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, the coffin, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. 
yes, I heard a pastor preach on this the day Jesus stopped for a beer, but I'm not going to do that. That's You've probably seen video footage of funeral processions in the Middle East. Uh, they are raucous. They are noisy. A crowd of people carrying a casket, right? Almost like they're, they're, they're doing this body surfing. It's just very strange to us, that, that culture. They're wailing, they're shouting. In Jesus' day, families actually hired professional mourners to take the mourn, to make the mourning more intense and to fan the flames of grief, they said. They thought that was very honoring to the person who had, who had died. Even poor families were obligated to hire at least two flute players and one mourner. <laughs> so Jesus was watching this whole raucous scene unfold, but it was the sight of this mother that really touched his heart. She'd already lost her husband, and now she had lost her only son, and it moved Jesus. He took her grief into his own heart. And even though he was about to raise up this young man, I want you to, to see Jesus' sensitivity. He just says to her, don't weep. Don't weep. He didn't launch into a discourse on death and the afterlife or the five stages of grief. Jesus knew that when you're in the middle of this kind of grief, the most comforting words are those that are few, right? Again, I just started reading Job, and the only thing Job's friends did that was right was sit with him and be quiet, right? And Jesus knew that this day was going to end in a huge celebration. This mom's sorrow would be, turn, between the, turn to laughter, but he was still genuinely moved by her sorrow. He was still moved. I'm sure he, he, he was looking right into her tear-filled eyes, and his look said to her, I feel what you're feeling, and I am so sorry. I remember I was very young when my mom died. She was only 55. And um, I flew back to Indiana for the funeral, and I was so distraught I, I couldn't do the service. I knew that. And so we contacted a local pastor, and I thought, I don't even know if this man's a Christian. I don't know. But he pastored a local, little local church there, and I remember he stood up there, and the first thing he did was he, he looked at the family, and he said, I didn't know you were mom, your wife, sir, but I am so sorry. Wow. And that set a pattern for me in my own ministry of comforting, grieving people. I think that's exactly the way Jesus came across to this mom. And then he displayed the omnipotent power of God and raised her son from the dead. But let me make an application here. Some of you have prodigal sons and daughters. And you're here listening to God's word and your greatest heart's desire is that your child would be sitting beside you on Sunday mornings worshiping with you, loving God. Jesus shows us God's heart toward you this morning. He's not indifferent to your pain. 
He knows your tears. He hears your prayers. He's compassionate toward you. God Himself has many prodigal sons and daughters. Amen? And we see it over and over in the Gospels. When Jesus is moved to compassion, He's also moved to action. So never stop asking, never stop seeking, never stop knocking for God to bring back your children who have wandered off. Our God is able to raise those who are spiritually dead also. Now let's look at some sisters who lost their brother. John 11. Turn to John 11. And you know the story. John 11 tells the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in a display of the power of God, but it was also a display of the compassion of God. In John 11, beginning in verse 32, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Wow. Those two words tell us volumes about God, don't they? Jesus wept. Jesus is extremely emotional here. The word for deeply moved was used of a horse snorting. It meant indignation, agitation, even anger. And greatly troubled means to be racked with emotion, shuddering. Those people were staring at Jesus, and they could see in his face and in his body how upset he was. And why? It wasn't that Jesus was upset at losing his friend Lazarus because he was going to raise him from the dead in just a few minutes. John tells us it was the wailing of the Jews and the grief and the tears of Mary that moved him so deeply, he was troubled because they were troubled. And he felt what they felt. And yes, he was angry, not at them. He was angry at what sin had done to the human race. Adam's sin was why his friend Lazarus had to go through sickness and death and why his friends Mary and Martha were sobbing in grief. He hated sin. And I'm sure at that moment, he wished he could just cut to the chase and just defeat sin and Satan right then and there. No more tears, no more sorrow. That day's coming, but it's not here yet. But that's why he stood at Lazarus' graveside and, and burst into tears. These were tears over the grief of others. Again, Isaiah 53, 4, predicted of the Messiah, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. When I'm suffering, it means the world to me to know that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, that Jesus wept. Um, I've done many funeral services for unbelievers. You get a call on the phone, I'm sure Tony gets this. Someone in the community, they, they need a service, they need a minister, they don't know what they need, but they've got a loved one who passed away and they want something to give dignity and maybe even hope to the situation. Many times I've turned to John chapter 11. 
What do you say to the family of a person who is almost certainly unsaved? Not much you can say. Not much. But you can say that our God is not distant and indifferent to our pain. He knows and he cares. Jesus showed us that. And then you can go on and tell them that Jesus also raised Lazarus from the dead and that he is the resurrection and the life for all those who believe. Amen. Last cause for Jesus' compassion we'll look at this morning was spiritual distress. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Spiritual distress brought out Jesus' compassion. Matthew 9, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Have you noticed how often in the Gospels talk about the huge crowds that followed Jesus. Everywhere he went, he would go to a home and there would be such a crowd, you had to be lowered down through the ceiling to get a seat, right? Other times Jesus would be exhausted, trying to get some quiet time with his men, and massive crowds would appear, and they weren't there to encourage Jesus. They were pretty much ignorant and selfish. They just wanted to get their healing or get some bread and move on. And when Jesus would spell out the terms of discipleship, most of them went home. But how did Jesus see the crowds? With compassion, with compassion. They were just like poor sheep with no shepherd to guide them. They were distressed. The Greek word skullo means to be skinned, bruised, mangled, and ripped apart. They were downcast. Ripto means thrown down, helpless, defenseless, and that was their spiritual condition, their spiritual condition. And that was due to their religious leaders who were uncaring, self-centered. This was spiritual abuse. Scribes and Pharisees didn't love them or care for them. They didn't shepherd them. They didn't teach them. They just used them, criticized them, and left them to wander in their ignorance and confusion. These were God's chosen people, and Jesus calls them the lost sheep of the house of Israel. How sad is that? But Jesus had compassion on them because so many of them were lost and on the wide road that leads to destruction. He wasn't angry with them. He pitied them. I confess to you, sometimes I get angry at lukewarm, half committed Christians. Can you relate to that? Ever happen? It irritates me that 60% of people who call themselves evangelical Christians in the United States say there are other ways to get to heaven besides faith in Christ. But if I'm like Jesus, I'll pity these poor people for being ignorant and gullible. I'll pray for them and any anger will be directed at their shepherds who don't teach them God's word so that they can avoid the wolves. Let me give three applications just in closing here. Number one, if Jesus was moved by blind men and lepers and even hungry crowds, know without a doubt that he cares for your aches and pains. Again, no matter how minor, no matter how small, 
the Lord Jesus cares. Don't ever think they're too trivial or that God is too busy when you're discouraged, when you're weeping over your own failures and mistakes. God cares deeply about these things. And we know this because Jesus cared deeply about human grief. And Peter told us, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I think all means all here. <laughs> all your anxieties, even the little things, the little stuff in life, ask, seek, and knock. He cares so much more than we can comprehend. And when you sense your own spiritual ignorance and your inadequacy, Jesus isn't angry with you. He has compassion on you. Sometimes I think I see him in heaven with his arms crossed. Looking down, you again? Really, Doug? Really? Shaking his head. Actually, he's the one who said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's the one who said, come, oh, come to me. Come to me. You can come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest, not a lecture. My brothers and sisters, he says that to you and me too. Go to him. He's a sympathetic high priest. Number two, your sin and your guilt are no obstacle to Jesus' mercy and compassion. Where your sin abounds, his grace abounds all the more. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Your misery triggers his mercy. Mm. He initiated conversations with immoral women. He was never happier than when the worst sinners were receiving mercy and forgiveness from him. I never read that Jesus ever turned away a person seeking mercy from him, and he won't turn you away either. Praise God. Number three, Jesus' compassion moved him to action. Moved him to action. Every time Jesus felt compassion, he acted, he healed, he touched, he taught. He gave up his own comfort and desires to come to the aid of others. If you wonder why Jesus was so poor, why he said the foxes have holes, but he didn't have a home or two nickels to rub together, this is why. He sacrificed his own comfort and possessions to relieve the sufferings of others. He died because of his compassion to save us from hell, the hell our sins deserve. Don't let your compassion stop in your heart. Let it move you to action. Ask yourself what you can do to help alleviate the suffering or meet the need. Remember 1 John 3, 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Jesus did that. And it's very possible, very possible, that before this weekend is over, there's going to come across your path <laughs> some person in some situation that should move you to compassion and compassion to action. Will you respond like Jesus and display the glory of God? Let's bow our heads. Just listen. Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. No one else can satisfy. 
I should come to him. Jesus said, if I am weak, I should come to him. No one else can be my strength. I should come to him. For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus strong and kind. Jesus said that if I fear, I should come to him. No one else can be my shield. I should come to him. Jesus said if I am lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on the cross. He will come to me. Thank you, Father, that you sent your Son to flesh out your divine compassion. It is incomprehensible, Father, so give us your Holy Spirit this morning to grasp it, to lay hold of it, Father, that we would come to Jesus strong and kind when we have our needs, Father, when we feel weak, when we feel weary, Father. And Father, then give us the strength through your Holy Spirit to show that same compassion to others, Father, if that Jesus is lifted up, the Jesus of your word, strong and kind, he will draw men to himself. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.